Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition, filmed today on May 16th, 2016. Are peer-to-peer lenders operating on borrowed time? <laughs> Sorry, I just cracked myself up. Um, anyway, my, my name is Gabby LaFera. Joining me on the phone to talk about the heartburn-inducing world of P2P lenders is financial analyst Jay Jenkins. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gabby. Thank you. Pun very much intended there. <laughs> yeah, I um, I was trying to, to think of a clever intro for this, and there's just so many puns. Anyway, uh, I think that a lot of people who follow this world have probably heard about the Lending Club debacle, I think might be the best word for it. Uh, their share price has dropped precipitously around 87% at the time of this filming, and it's because they sold loans to investors that they weren't supposed to sell. Um, but we kind of want, we want, we want to really dig into this world and figure out, we want to tell you guys and learn a little bit about why, how peer-to-peer lenders work and why this is happening and maybe what the future of peer-to-peer lending is. Absolutely. Gabby, a couple of my uh, personal friends asked me what the deal was with Lending Club. They, you know, they saw the news that it was just a $22 million uh, package of loans and for a company that's you know originating millions of dollars of loans you know almost every single day, that sounds like peanuts. But the real story here is that those peanuts represent a much bigger problem that I view as, as a business model problem, and that's why Lending Club, the board of directors, reacted so swiftly to fire the CEO and a few of his lieutenants as well. So, yeah. So I think that what we should do is we should start with talking about what peer-to-peer lending is, because. Um, I think that maybe it's not a model that everyone is familiar with. I think everyone knows that like most of the time people think, oh, I need a loan. I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to talk to a loan officer and I'm going to get myself a loan. Peer-to-peer lending is, excuse the the jargon, disrupting <laughs> that business model. It's trying to. Uh, you could argue that it's failing right now. But uh, but yeah, there's, so there's two kind of fundamental models uh, that the peer-to-peer lending companies are, are using right now. The kind of original idea, uh, which is your lending club kind of model is where uh, you or I go online and we need a personal loan. Uh, we fill in our information on their website, click apply, and then Lending Club goes out and recruits other individuals, potentially you or me again, uh, to come in and invest some of our savings into that loan. So where in a traditional bank, you know, the, you would take your deposits to the bank, the bank would intermediary that process to originate loans with the deposit funding. Lending Club and the, peer-to-peer, the pure peer-to-peer model basically strips that out and says, we're going to replace the bank uh, with a website and some computer algorithms, and it's going to be super efficient, and everyone's going to win. The second model, uh, which is more uh, business-oriented at this point in time, but also somewhat on the personal consumer side, uh, like a company like On Debt Capital, they're originating their loans, but instead of funding it with peer-to-peer modeling, they're actually going out and recruiting capital investments. It could be equity capital investments. It could be uh, packaging these loans as securities and selling them could be credit facilities that they've got with major banks. Uh, but they're actually uh, raising huge amounts of money, funding the loans themselves, and then dealing with the loans by either selling them off to other investors, keeping them on their books, uh, or, or a number of different ways. So, so those are kind of the two models. From the consumer side, You know, when you go to their website and click apply, the user experience is very similar. So the real difference is in the nuts and bolts behind the, th- uh, behind the scenes on how they actually fund the loans. Right. It's basically where they're getting... The, the funding for the loans. And like you said, On Debt Capital is definitely more focused on small businesses. I want to drop a word of caution to our listeners that if you Google On Debt Capital, 
their ads will follow you all over the internet for weeks. <laughs> I hope we can talk about uh, the peer-to-peer -peer, uh, marketing and some of the problems they're having there because uh, these guys are not shying away from spending money on ad dollars, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I've definitely been the recipient of that, despite the fact that I do not own a small business, nor am I in the market for a personal loan. They, right. can, they can maybe tighten up the algorithms that they're using to, <laughs> to check. Um, so this is this is a really interesting idea, right? So one of the things that I think most people are going to ask immediately with this is banks have underwriters who who check the, the, the risk of any individual who's applying for a loan. How do these online peer-to-peer -peer companies manage that risk? Well, it's, it's a fundamental question that I don't think they've fully answered yet. Uh, at the most fundamental level, basically, they're trying to replace that individual in the bank with a computer algorithm that says, you know, this is your credit score, this is your income, this is your net worth, this is, you know, your, uh, do you own or do you rent? All these traditional credit factors, they dump all that data into, you know, some artificial intelligence kind of program, and it spits out a risk rating. Uh, so for the consumer, you plug in your information and you immediately know it's risk rated me, whatever. And because of that risk rating, my interest rate, should I get this loan, will be whatever that is. So if you're a high risk, your interest rate will be higher. If you're a low risk, your interest rate will be lower. Uh, and the idea being that those computer algorithms are just as good or better than the traditional human underwriter that you would see at banks. Now, at traditional banks, that process doesn't just stop with that underwriter. person applies for a loan in the branch. It's approved or not by an individual. If it's approved, that loan is later on, after the fact, reviewed by a loan review group that's traditionally housed in the credit department or loan administration department of these you know, commercial and, and traditional banks. The problem that Lending Club is having right now is that their loan review process is at best weak uh, and at worst non-existent. Uh, which led that led to the problems with this $22 million in, in sold loans that, that ultimately led to the CEO being fired last week. Yeah, it's a much more complicated process than I think a lot of people think. And one of the things that you have to realize is that people are very in, in their risk when you're giving them a loan. And if you give people who are high risk a loan, like they're, they're probably going to default. That's why banks are so careful. Um, Absolutely. That's why they charge higher interest rates, too. Exactly. The theory is they'll have more loan losses on those riskier loans, so they should they should charge more to cover those losses and still hopefully make a profit. Right. Just to be clear, that's uh, they charge higher interest rates for people who are riskier. So Correct. people. So one of the, the, the best, um, I guess, easiest metrics to see is your FICO score, FICO score um, which says, you know, uh, if it's above 750, these people are... Uh, prime borrowers or above 800 super prime borrowers, they're going to have the lowest interest rates. And then people below that are going to have much higher interest rates, which means that they're going to pay more over the life of the loan. But the banks do a really, really good job of checking and making sure that you are who you say you are and that you make as much as you say you do and and getting all these factors about your life and making decisions, especially if you're applying for a business loan, making a decision about whether or not the business sounds feasible. Absolutely. Some you know, and it's it's particularly you think back. It always makes me think back to the financial crisis you know, on the mortgage side. Subprime mortgages, no documentation loans, no income verification loans, and we all know what happened. I mean, those loans were not repaid with any sort of regularity, and it caused these tremendous losses at the banks that almost you know tipped the entire global economy over. Uh, and then you read uh, at some of these online marketplaces that what they're verifying is 
a lot of times even less than what was being verified for those subprime mortgage loans. I've got a number here for you. Uh, and Prosper Capital's S1, Prosper is a, currently it's privately owned, but it's an online marketplace right. lender, and just, just so like you know, Lending Club or On Deck. An S1 uh, is what a company has to file with the SEC before they go public. Correct. Correct. Thank you. Uh, according to their S1, which they filed earlier this year, Prosper verified employment and or income only on 59% of the loans on their marketplace, just 59%. So in theory, you know, that means 41% of these loans, you, these individuals could have just popped on the website, made up a bunch of stuff, and then walked away with, with a pile of cash, Yeah. which is, that's, that's fraudulent, of course. But from an investor perspective, that's a lot of risk that these companies are, are, are taking on lending out huge amounts of capital. The thing about lending money is not only do you have to sell the loan, you also have to get it back. And that's fundamentally different when you sell a widget or some other kind of service. If, if a bank or a lender doesn't get their, their loan money back, that bank or that lender is going to fail pretty doggone quick. So I think even more horrifying than the fact that they only checked you know, 59% of the loans is of those 59% they checked, they pulled 15% of the list, listings, saying 15% right. weren't real or weren't good listings. That's right. Of the ones they checked, one in six was wrong or That's fraudulent or, or just, you know, fabricated. That's a lot. And that, like, the chances of that happening at a bank are so, so much lower. Especially in today's today's environment uh, with Dodd-Frank and all these regulations, uh, know your customer regulations. It's, it's a real serious thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's one that banks have perfected. You know, banks have been doing this for literally thousands of years. Uh, and there's value in that institutional and kind of cultural knowledge uh, in the industry. Yeah. But that is to say, I don't, I don't want to be too negative. I really like the concept of using the internet and using peer-to-peer as a channel to enhance people who need credit and are maybe a subprime but are still willing and able to pay. Improving the access to credit can go a long way to helping these individuals' lives. And, and an, an investor who's in a company that's doing that effectively and taking the proper risk management steps, there's a lot of money to be made. Uh, I was reading a PricewaterhouseCoopers report last week as all this news was breaking that predicted that the online lending marketplace, uh, I guess industry, could reach $150 billion in originations per year by 20, let me make sure I say the right year, by 2025. And that's a huge number. But that huge number only represents 10% of the current revolving consumer debt market plus 5% of the non-revolving market. I mean, this is a gigantic ocean where these guys are playing. It's a, it's a kind of market that if disrupted properly, there's a lot of money to be made. It's just at this point, I think they're failing on the, on the risk management front. And so we're just not quite there yet. Right. And well, th- this also brings up a, another really interesting idea that we could do an entire podcast on, which is there are some people who need access to loans, but you're right, like they have low credit ratings or they have other risk factors associated with them. So they can't get loans from a bank. So a lot of these people turn to payday lenders, which a lot of the time, I'm going to say most of the time, are predatory lenders, right? So they end up in much more debt than they would have otherwise. So like this, right. this could potentially present an avenue for these people, but the way it's being done now is just, it's just so risky. <laughs> it absolutely is. And I don't, I'm not smart enough to, to find the solution to this problem. But to me, there is an answer in online and in payday lending. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of a couple of traditional banks doing it, doing it right. Uh, Wells Fargo has rolled out an online business application. Uh, and, and Wells Fargo is the number one by number of loans SBA lender. SBA loans are government-guaranteed small business loans. Um, and the number two small SBA lender is a small private bank in Wilmington, North Carolina. Both of those banks accept SBA applications online. The user experience is smooth. It's easy. It's intuitive. 
But in both of those cases, it's not 100% automated. There is a human being that gets routed to this information, all the stuff's verified, humanized with human instinct and gut, make a decision, and they can move forward on the loan. So it's this nice balance where you get the benefits of online, the speed, the transparency, plus you get the benefits of a traditional risk management department who can protect deposit holders and protect investors from all these undue losses from you know, perhaps some unscrupulous borrowers who might try to do something, you know, shady. Right. It's so this this brings us to the second part, right? You mentioned Dodd Frank earlier, which is the regulation that surrounds how banks are capitalized and their liquidity ratios and all this stuff to make sure that banks don't fail. Right. It also gave rise to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Right. Which, which is, is a behemoth these days. It's, it's really yes. making a lot of changes throughout the whole industry. And they're having some problems of their own, which is, could also be another podcast episode um, that Bureau is. But the banks, my point is, have a lot of regulations surrounding them. These online lenders have a lot less because it just, D.C. is a slow-moving city. They just haven't quite caught up with the times yet. Sure, sure. You know, and these lenders are subject to a lot of the same regulations. Uh, Truth in lending, uh, know your customer, uh, even some of the securities laws, blue sky laws, the Securities Acts of uh, 1933 and 1940. All these laws do apply and they are regulated. But it is kind of still the Wild West. Uh, the CFPB has not yet really truly turned their attention to Lending Club or On Deck or any of these other players. But I'll tell you, all of the bad headlines, uh, this event last week, uh, On Deck Capital had a pretty bad quarter. All of this stuff is drawing a lot of attention, and a lot of people in Washington are expecting um, the crosshairs to kind of move in a little bit more quickly than they would have otherwise. Yeah. So it's just yet another headwind that has to be overcome. And one of the things that happened to the banks is when they instituted Dodd-Frank, a lot of smaller banks went out of business or were acquired by larger banks because they just couldn't keep up with the with the amount of money required to come up to par with federal regulation. So sure. who knows what will happen to these online lenders, especially because their balance sheets are very interesting when you look at them. Sure. If their whole argument is that they have better economics than a traditional bank because they're online only, because there's you know fewer heads uh, to pay salaries, fewer you know there's no branches that you have to pay rent or, or keep the lights on, that really brings into question if those economics are really there when you layer on some of these additional operating costs from having to you know, do the same regulatory work that a trillion dollar or hundred billion dollar bank has to do. So it's a big, big question mark. Yeah. Um, and I and on the cost front too, I, this is a, probably a good time I wanted to come back to marketing. Again, their, their argument is that their economics are better. They can make more money more efficiently because of this lower you know, overhead uh, however, when you look at their numbers, their customer acquisition costs are extremely high. Uh, routinely, 35 to 45 percent of their revenue uh, go to, goes to marketing. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, they're, they're spending a lot of money on marketing because they're trying to brand and, and do all these things they have to do. Uh, but tracking it over time, their marketing expense has been moving up in lockstep as their revenues have increased. So they're really not achieving any scale with consumers. That's problematic for them because it's a transactional model. They don't really have any way to kind of go back to the well. You get one customer. You know, how can we expand that relationship? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm a, clearly you can tell I'm, I'm in favor of traditional banks at this point in time <laughs> on this because that's the biggest benefit of traditional banks is that relationship. Right. Wells Fargo and was famous in the 80s. You know, they, their slogan was eight is great, meaning for every customer they wanted to sell eight products. Yeah, and that's something that they they've actually achieved, which is great. Like it's amazing. Yeah, the best banks in the U.S. That's what they do. Uh, First Republic, over seven accounts 
per new customer. I mean, you walk into the bank, most likely you're walking out with seven accounts or more. Right. That's and fantastic when- for profits. That's fantastic for long-term wealth building. And it's something that at this point, I don't see how Lending Club or On Deck or some of these others are going to replicate. It, it just seems so transactional. Right. And what, when we say accounts, it's not just loans, right? We're talking right. credit cards, uh, debit cards, savings accounts, all these wealth types management, of wealth checking management, checking accounts, savings accounts. Exactly. So these are all things that these online lenders just can't do, not unless they decide to become a bank and then they're no longer what they were. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's what some of them are doing. Some of the smaller ones, they're actually going out and, and trying to buy community banks uh, for that reason. And also uh, another advantage traditional banks have is their cost of funding. You know, if you, I'm sure everyone listening and watching knows that if you go open a savings account today, the bank's really not going to pay you any interest on it. You know, maybe a few basis points. Uh, that, that money's free money for the bank to go out and, and make loans and, uh, you know, drive their yields higher. But on the online lending marketplace, that money is either going directly to some other person in a peer-to-peer at a really high yield, or it's going to uh, some capital investor whose cost of funds might be, you know, seven, eight, nine percent, as opposed to, you know, seven, eight, nine basis points. Uh, that's a huge advantage for traditional banks, and and it's going to be really challenging, and it's going to be really interesting to see how these these le- online lenders kind of overcome and, and try to try to manage that. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them end up with with bank charters uh, and accept deposits, uh, you know, just like some of the existing online only banks. Right. So, besides the economics and the potential for uh, sorry. sorry, it's a totally fine. Listeners, just so you know, Jay has a really cute dog, and he's hanging out with him in That's the room. Right. In the home office today. We're here together. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, so besides the economics and the regulatory issues that these people potentially face, the other thing is that a lot of these companies started in 2007, 2008, and they were very, very small, and they like their growth has, has been huge since then, right? You, you wouldn't expect them to grow a lot during the middle of the financial crisis. Um, but Their timing was perfect. It really was. Yeah, it was. Because like there's a lot of people looking for loans with easy money. and Banks weren't lending. Exactly. But have they... A lot of banks, like they've ridden out multiple credit cycles. We have no idea what's going to happen to these online lenders. That's right. To me, that's the biggest changes. question mark. That's the elephant in the room. That's It's a true unknown and it's extremely dangerous. The credit, the credit cycle is it's a fact of life. Credit expands, money's easy. The uh, economy hits a bump, maybe a recession, maybe even just like a deceleration of growth. And the credit cycle will contract. Uh, defaults go up, loan losses mount, uh, and banks, you know, you mentioned Dodd-Frank. Nowadays, especially, banks have so much capital, so much liquidity, more than likely they're going to be okay to ride out those losses while the credit cycle does its thing before it turns back, you know, back to a positive uh, growth cycle. These these online lenders have never dealt with that. So there's a couple of different scenarios uh, that could, I think could cause serious problems. On the peer-to-peer side, where do those investors in these loans go after they take some pretty big losses? You know, If you are used to a savings account or a CD where your money's there, it's backed by the FDIC, you put it into this loan you know, with a 10% interest rate, and then suddenly that loan loses 50% of its principal balance because the person just stops paying. Do you ever come back? Does the market? for investors just disappear overnight? It could. I mean, it might not. I don't know. We don't know. And that's the, that's the big point here is we don't know. You know. Will some of these big mega banks be willing to continue funding online lenders if default rates triple or quadruple from what they were projected to be? You know, we, don't, we don't know. Could those lines of credit dry up? And if they do, 
what does on deck do? What does lending club do? How do they fund their loans at that point? Right. And part of this is that the loans, the people that they're giving loans out to and lending club and on deck potentially is these people tend to be higher credit risks, right? So these are already the people who maybe they're choosing to go online because the traditional bank wouldn't work with them. Potentially. I'm sure there's plenty of other people on the platform who are, good credit risks and you know like uh i think you said your your girlfriend was using lending club to yeah. pay off her student loans right yeah to great effect saved a bunch of money on interest knocked it right on out it was a really for her it was a, a great match right so like i'm sure there's plenty of people like that on the platforms but i think proportionally you're going to have a lot more people who are higher credit risks than you would with banks absolutely i, I doubt very seriously there's many <clears throat> excuse me high net worth uh customers coming to lending club for a personal loan yeah so it's overall, it's a very, very complicated environment. And it's there's a lot there's a lot of questions right now about the feasibility of the model, what's going to happen with regulation. And so I would personally have a really, really hard time investing in these stocks. I'm right there with you. To me, the risk is just far too great at this point. And these companies have, have kind of shown us that they're not equipped today to manage the risk of, of what they're doing. Uh, and that's a shame, too, because, like I said, the market is huge. And when someone figures this out, it's going to be a game changer, I think. But that day is just not today. Yeah, and who knows? Like, maybe traditional banks will figure it out. That could that could totally be coming down the pipeline. Absolutely. I think that's, in my, my view, that's probably the odds-on favorite to what happened. You know, Wells Fargo is already doing it pretty effectively uh, it's already been on the credit card market. You can apply online seamlessly for years now. Uh, Quicken Loans has their new Rocket Mortgage product, which they're marketing like crazy, where you apply online, uh, you go through the process really quick, really easy. Uh, that's, the, that's the next generation uh, of lending. So yeah. I got my credit limit increased the other day. I went on the Bank of America website and a button had appeared saying, would you like to raise your credit limit? And I said, sure, I, I would love to. Um, the, Automatic. And it, it came through in five minutes that my limit had been raised by X amount. I don't think I should say how much on the air, right? Like that, that's like a <laughs> I don't blame please hack me thing. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to say on this? It's been an interesting couple of weeks, and I think it's only going to get more interesting as we move, move through the rest of this year. Uh, Lending Club and, and On Deck, they need to respond. And I'm not sure uh, exactly what or, or how they're going to do it. So yeah, I mean, I can't wait to find out. Lending Club did fire their CEO, but I, is that enough? I don't. I don't think so. Like, if you go online right now and type in Lending Club class action suit, they've got a ton that have popped up because of this. This whole mess. So I don't. Right. Uh, it's it's it's, it's, it's gonna probably going to get uglier before it gets pretty. An so. interesting ride. Oh, That's right. Oh, and it's it's going to give me anxiety just thinking about it. Uh. Okay, so thank you guys very much for listening in. Um, if you're interested, those numbers that we talked about from Prosper and Lending Club uh, verifying loans, that came from an article done by one of the other analysts who's on the show. His name is Jordan Wathen. If you'd like a link to that, just shoot me an email at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Let us know if you have any questions about peer-to-peer lending or anything else. I'd love to answer them. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks for joining us, and I hope everyone has a great week.